0: Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live but we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good to see you guys. Uh, If you came in a little bit late, welcome to Cross Creek. We are glad you're here. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor. And if this is your first time or you're new, we want to give you a gift. We believe that God loves to give gifts, and so we are trying to be like him, and we want to give you a free gift. And so uh, the the easiest way we could think of doing that is actually the card in the seat in front of you. There's a little card, red card that says, "'Welcome.'" Fill that out with some really easy information about yourself. And then after the service, you can go to the lobby and the information table and give that card to the person at the table, and we will give you a free gift. If you're watching online, thanks for watching. We are glad that you are a part of what we're doing. The free gift only applies if you come in person. So maybe the bribe will work, maybe it won't. But uh, hopefully, we'd we'd love to meet you. Uh, A few things I kind of want to talk about before we get talking about our our new series, Out of the Ordinary. Uh, Last week was the last Sunday of our Safe Spaces campaign, where we were raising, trying to raise $15,000 for our parking lot, and then... uh $10,000 $10,000 for a parking lot, $5,000 for an organization called Every Child that helps foster kids and foster families. And so last Sunday, we were celebrating because we had raised a total of $13,000. And we, it was awesome, and you guys did so much for that, and we made such a big difference, and I was, you know, excited to write the uh, the check for Every Child. And, you know, we wanted 15000 but 13000 for a church this size, that's huge, right? Well, God's pretty cool. So, get off, I, I finish teaching, and I go to the lobby, and somebody hands me a check for the rest of the $2,000. Isn't that amazing? So, when you're like, man, God just, God's just late, he's not coming in on my, he, God's got his own timing. Like, talk about last minute, we said, hey, the, the campaign's over. Oh, by the way, here's, here's the rest of it. So, pretty awesome, thank you for that. Our uh, Christmas service is coming up on December twenty second. We have invites that you could uh, fill out for people if you want to invite somebody. Be like, "Hey, come to our Christmas service. I'll sit with you." And it's just a great way to show people that God is for them. We design our Christmas service for people who, you know, maybe they only come to church once every year, or maybe this is the first time they've been here in ten years. We have we will design we we design every service with those people in mind. So, <clears throat> with all of that, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Were you thankful? Did you overindulge, sinners? It's called gluttony. By the way, it's in the Bible. Read it. Um, but holidays are great. I mean, Thanksgiving is great. It's it's like this break from the ordinary, right? This this break from the routine of maybe maybe the mundane. Because often, if you think about it, if you're honest, life kind of gets routine. Kind of gets mundane, and I I think that's why we try to fill our lives with so many things, right? With entertainment, like uh, those of you who have have the iPhone and it and it tells you how many how much screen time you've had that week, you're like, holy cow, I can't believe I've been on my phone for seven hours a day. I guess that's just me, but (laughs) you you look at it, you're like, why am I on my phone so much? Because we're trying to fill our day with entertainment. Sometimes we do it. We try to fill the mundane, the routine, with entertainment. Maybe maybe with food, with drinks, with activities, right? Going from one activity to the next. Maybe shuttling your kids from one activity to the next just so life doesn't just seem so, so boring, so ordinary, so, so mundane. And we end up exhausted trying to fill our day with something that might add meaning to it. And I think that's why we enjoy the holidays or why we enjoy the idea of the holidays, right? Like when we look back on the holidays, like we have these sweet memories, but in reality, it's a lot like that video we saw. Right? And, and so we love the idea of holidays because holidays take us out of the ordinary. Right? We get to dress up as someone else for Halloween. We get to believe that there's leprechauns on St. Patrick's Day and do other things on St. Patrick's Day. We get to, uh, you know, celebrate the Easter bunny. Oh, look, these little eggs. How does the bunny have eggs? Nobody knows, but he does. Right? We, get to, we get to celebrate groundhogs seeing their shadows or that Columbus actually found America the first time or, or that Santa's real. Right, We get to enjoy all those things because it takes us out of the ordinary. And, and who wants ordinary? Right? Why, like for Liz and I, we say, why can't we have Christmas all year long? Like November 1st? Was it November 1st? Yeah, November... No, I think it was October 30th. We were listening to Christmas music. <laughs> Don't judge me! Oh, but you skipped Thanksgiving. Why aren't you thankful? You know what? Baby Jesus is way cooler than a bunch of pilgrims. (laughs) Just saying. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, like we want, when we get older, we want our house to look like a gingerbread house, and I'm going to grow a big white beard, and the people are going to call us Mr. and Mrs. Claus, and it'll be awkward, and the grandkids will want to visit, but their parents won't let them because they're like, what's wrong with them? So, but wouldn't that be great to have holidays every year because there's something in us that says there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more than what we just do day after day. In fact, there needs to be more, there should be more to our life. And the truth is, there should be more to our life. Think about it. You are, and give me a moment, you are unique. You are special. I don't care what they say, you are a snowflake. There is no one like you. In fact, Mr. Rogers said it best. You are, you, put your name there, you are a very special person. There's only one like you in the whole world. There's never been anyone exactly like you before, and there will never be again. Only you. And maybe that sounds corny, but it's true. It's actually true. Whether, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and if you're not a Jesus follower, we're so glad that you're here. We designed this service with you in mind so you can explore and ask questions and have doubts. We love it. But whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you know that there's something unique about you. There's never been anyone like you. There never will be someone like you again. And for, for, for Jesus followers, we actually take this a step further because we believe it's, it's divinely inspired. We believe that God made you on purpose for a purpose, that the creator of the entire universe actually made you, specifically you, the way you are, on purpose and for a purpose. So why would he, if he did that, why would he want you to settle for anything ordinary? Why would he want you to settle just to have a routine and a, a mundane life? Why should our lives be dominated by the mundane and maybe the, the weak efforts to escape that routine? And maybe we miss the extraordinary that God wants for us because we're so busy trying to distract ourselves or or we think we know what's better. In fact, I think we miss the extraordinary because we think we're stuck in the ordinary. We actually miss the extraordinary that God has for us because we think we're convinced that we're stuck in this routine, in this mundane, in this ordinary life. So that's why I think... One of the reasons, God came up with one of the craziest stories ever told. A story that I think, that many people think belongs with Columbus. A story that, you know, if, if you're not a little skeptical about the details of this story, I think you haven't really read it. Or maybe you've read it too much. It's the story of God breaking into our ordinary and giving us the extraordinary. It's, it's the story of Jesus' birth, right? Christmas. And so, we're going we're to go through that for the next three weeks, talking about how God brings us the extraordinary in the ordinary. And if, if you're a church person and you've, you've seen this story and you're like, oh, yeah, it's December, we're going to go through this story again, look at it like maybe you've never read it before. Ask questions. Allow yourself to have a little bit of doubts. Look at it like you're looking at it for the first time, maybe the first time as an adult. And so, we're going we're gonna to find this story, this true story, this extraordinary story, this crazy story in what we call the book of Luke. Luke was an ancient historian. He was a friend of the Apostle Paul. He traveled around uh, supplanting churches with the Apostle Paul, and he actually got a chance to interview and meet a whole bunch of eyewitnesses of Jesus's life. And he, in great uh, ancient historian fashion, he, he got all his sources together, and he wrote out a, a detailed account Jesus' life based on eyewitnesses accounts, eyewitness accounts. He wrote it around 50 or 60 AD, which means it was only at most 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So this is like eyewitness stuff. And he went and interviewed people. And he sets his story firmly in history. L- let's look at it. This is, how, this is how Luke starts his account of Jesus' life. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, the guy he's writing the letter to, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See how how firmly he says, he said, this stuff happened. I'm going to write down an orderly account of what actually happened with Jesus' life. And then he sets it again firmly in history. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. See, there's no once upon a time in this story, right? There's no, you know, back in eons ago, in the the mist of creation. There's none of that myth- feel to it. He sets it firmly in history, something no myth writers actually did back in the ancient times. They didn't, they didn't say, they didn't actually say King Herod. They didn't give him, give their beginning of a, of a myth story an actual historical beginning, because he's talking about Herod the Great, a guy that we actually know from history, who outside of the biblical accounts, who ruled in Israel from 34 to, 37 to 4 B.C., Basically, Herod the Great, just, just a little bit of history. You guys are really into this, right? The history stuff? Okay. So Herod the Great helped build up Jerusalem, made it, made it really impressive. In fact, Herod the Great came to power because his father was actually a friend of Julius Caesar. Isn't that interesting? It's a very long story. I'm not going to go into it. Take, Google it, okay? It's true. So he sets... Luke sets his story firmly in history. He says, during this time period, during sometime between 37 and 4 BC, what I'm about to write actually happened. He sets it up as factual history. And then he talks about crazy stuff, like angels. It's like he's saying, I know everything I'm about to write sounds made up, but I interviewed the eyewitnesses, They told me when it happened. They said, I know you can't believe this, but this is exactly what happened. And so I'm writing it down for you. He recorded the extraordinary breaking into our ordinary. And so he writes, he says, hey, in the time of King Herod, there was... um, this, this priest named Zechariah, and an angel came to him while he was offering sacrifices at the temple and said, you are going to have a son. And Zachariah's like, I'm stinking old. I can't have a son. My wife Elizabeth is old. We can't, we can't have kids. And the angel said, you're going to have a kid. You're going to name him John. He's going to be great. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. He's like the, one of the promised prophets that, that God promised your people. And because you doubted me, now you're going to not be able to talk. He sets it in history. And then he's got this angel who names himself Gabriel, talking to Zachariah. And then Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And everybody's like, holy cow, how is she pregnant? She's super old, which was really offensive. But they didn't care because it was just so amazing that she was pregnant. And that's, that's weird, right? That this old lady, much older than anyone in this room, became pregnant with this promised baby that an angel promised. See, that's strange. But even stranger is the story of Mary, which we're about to look at. And here's what we're gonna learn in this story of Mary, in this encounter of Mary and an angel. We're gonna learn that God meets us in the middle of ordinary life. God meets us in the middle of ordinary life. And so let's, let's look at how that plays out, God meeting us in the middle of ordinary life. If you have a Bible, you can follow along, but everything, I'm, everything that we're gonna talk about from the Bible is gonna be on the screen, so you can follow along if you want to. But here here it goes. This is the story of angel coming to Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, isn't that a beautiful name, Elizabeth? (laughs) Beautiful name. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Most of us have heard that, right? That's nice. I remember my parents forcing us to read that before we could open our presents on Christmas morning. So, I don't, you know, there's not a lot of fond memories of that, really, because that's just the stuff you got to get through to get to the good stuff, right? But there is some really interesting stuff going on in those sentences. Basically, what we're seeing is the unbelievably extraordinary is happening hand in hand with the painfully mundane. Extraordinary. Angel Gabriel. Names the angel. Gabriel is actually named in in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament in the book of what we call the book of Daniel which was written 600 years before Jesus. So this angel who was from the Jewish history comes to Mary and she, she would probably know of this name Gabriel and she's like holy cow I mean this is this is like the stuff of legends right? Shows up where? In Nazareth a lot of us in the Christmas story have heard of Nazareth. But at the time, Nazareth was a small village of probably about 400 people. Worse than Almsville. (laughs) Small. Nobody cared about Nazareth. Mundane. Ordinary. Just an ordinary village. Middle Eastern village. Comes to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. Like, oh, yeah, we all know Joseph, right? Don't even need a last name. You say Joseph, you know Jesus', is, Jesus is stepdad, right? That's Joseph the carpenter. But for anybody reading this at the time, they'd be like, jo- jo-. That is, Joseph is actually the third most common name at that time in Israel. It's Just a regular old dude. Joseph. I'm not going to pick a name that we think is regular and mundane because I will offend somebody. But... <laughs> Think of that regular mundane name and be like, oh well why would that be? So Joseph, third most popular name, Mary, the number one name for women at the time. Nothing special about her. Everybody was named Mary. But for some reason the angel came to her. A virgin. That's going to be extraordinary in a minute, when if if you know the end of the story, it's very extraordinary. But it also means that she's young. She's not married yet, and that time that means she's she's a young teenager. There's nothing special about her. She's just this Middle Eastern girl from a 400-population village. Just a common name. Engaged to a nobody who happens to be a descendant of the famous King David, of David and Goliath. So there's this, there's this extraordinary and there's this mundane, just side by side. Break, like God breaking into the mundane life and bringing extraordinary right beside it because with God the extraordinary and the ordinary exist side by side they're right there you can't you can't pull them apart the ordinary and the extraordinary exist side by side and it goes on the angel went to her and said greetings You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was like, that's cool. I love angels. This is one of the reasons why I think this is actual true account. Because people act like normal people would act when an angel shows up. Mary was greatly troubled. That's the biblical way for saying freaked out. (laughs) Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. See, the, if I think if somebody was making up this religion and they're writing like, the, the birth of their central figure, of their, of their myth hero figure, right? The, the mother, the chosen mother, would be like, oh, she'd be in like this glowing thing, which some paintings have Mary that way, which is not how it was. This, this glowing thing, and the angel shows up, she's like, I was waiting for you. <laughs> Yes, I am the chosen. I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. Thank you for confirming. Right? No, no. This teenage Middle Eastern girl is freaking out that an angel shows up to her. Nobody expected an angel to show up. It's, it's just too, too real. And he says, don't be afraid. And you're like, yeah, right. You just showed up out of nowhere. It's hilarious. And he says, you are highly favored. You found favor with God. Now, I think we need to kind of set up, set up some stuff here that it doesn't mean Mary had done anything special. She wasn't old enough to have done anything special yet. It doesn't mean she had earned any special recognition. What it simply means, having found favor with God or being highly favored, it means that God had chosen her simply because he wanted to. He chose her just because he wanted to. Some people have tried to make this all super religious and, and make her extra holy and, and so much so that, you know, the Virgin Mary stayed a virgin her whole life and she was pure her whole life. You know who might have a problem with that story? Jesus' little brother, James. Because <laughs> it's kind of hard to stay a virgin and have a baby. I don't, if, kids, if you haven't taken biology yet, it will tell you, okay? But I think James might have had an issue to say that Mary was this holy, holy thing that just stayed perfect her whole life. And another interesting thing, James, who was alive during the time Luke was writing this, might be the one where Luke got this information because Mary had told James, hey, your brother, pretty special. Here's how this whole thing happened, right? And so maybe he got his information from James. And as I like to say, I can't, I can't skip James without saying this. What would it take? for your little brother to worship you as God. James worshipped his bigger brother, his older brother as God. What would that... It would probably take him saying, hey, I'm going to die and rise again, and then actually pulling it off, right? That's the only way I would worship my brother is even then, probably not. But, so the whole point is, there is nothing extraordinary about Mary. There's nothing extraordinary about her that caused God to choose her he just did. He just wanted to. He just chose her because he he wanted to. See, God chooses to give extraordinary gifts and opportunities to ordinary people because he wants to, because he likes to, because he enjoys seeing what we do with them. God gives extraordinary gifts and opportunities to ordinary people. And so the angel goes on and tells Mary what all of this means. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Again, a very common name. It's kind of like like Joshua meant Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, hearkening back to what the ancient Israelites called God, the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's, Jacob's descendants, Israel, forever. His kingdom will never end. There is so much history and theology packed into this. Let me just talk a little bit about what this angel is saying. So it says, the angel tells Mary, your son will be the one promised to King David hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the the one, the chosen one that your, your people have been waiting for. Here's, here's the promise God gave, God gave David. Your house, God talking to David, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so the Israelites, the Jewish people, were looking for this chosen one that would establish this kingdom forever. And this angel shows up in Nazareth saying, the son you're going to have is that one that you've been waiting for. It says he's going to be the son of the most high. So to Jewish ears, what that means is king. It going be son of the most high, son of God. It was, a, it was a phrase that meant the king of Israel. But son of also carried Deeper, a deeper meaning. Had the idea of when, when, you're the when you're the son of somebody, like the son of John or, or or the son of Ken, that you you have, you possess all the qualities of that father. You possess all the authority of that father. It's kind of like you are a clone spitting image of that father. And they call you son of. That means you have all the authority, you have all the qualities. So it's him. So the angel saying, Mary, you're, you're, the baby you're going to have is the son of God? It's, it's deeper than Mary probably understood at the moment that he's going to have, basically he's going to be God in a body. He's going to be 100% God and 100% human. The, the baby you will have will be the fulfillment of God's promised plan to reunite heaven and and earth to bring peace on earth we'll talk about that in two weeks and so though Mary is a simple teenage peasant she's not an idiot she knows how babies are made so she asks a very good question how will this be Mary asked the angel since I'm a virgin how am I going to have a baby like it doesn't just work you don't just you know I know all those I'm not going to go on on that but <laughs> that's a good question right Again, if you're making up the story, you're not going to be having the, the hero question things. you would be like, yes, I accept. I'm, I will. That makes total sense. And, and I am holy. And yes, let, let this happen to me. Anyway, so here's what happens. Here's what the angel says. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will, will be called the Son of God. He's not going to be born from your fiancé Joseph. He's going to be born through the Holy Spirit. And this isn't like other ancient myths where like the gods came down and impregnated human women who gave birth to half gods, right? Like the story of Hercules, where Zeus comes down and finds a woman that he likes and has a baby with her, and then Hercules is half god, half human. It's not like that at all. What the angel is saying is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of God the same power that made everything out of nothing, a baby will be conceived. Fully human and fully God. The extraordinary and the ordinary coexisting in her son. You're like, that's crazy. That's impossible. You're right, it is impossible. Let's, let's go on. The angel answered. Nope, I already read that part. 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. That line, no word from God will ever fail, if, if we paraphrase it, basically means nothing is impossible with God. Is it impossible that a virgin would become pregnant and give birth to a son? Yes. Normally. I mean, that, let's let's stop there. That's, this is a big part of this whole this whole Jesus story. I mean, it seems so far fetched that it's impossible. But if just give me a second. If you're doubting this, which is good to doubt, if there is a God, just give me the if, right? Let's let's play. If there is a God, why not? If there is a God who made everything out of nothing, who is outside of time, who created you specifically, who guided the, the process of creation, whatever you believe how we got here, but there's a God who put it all together. If he can make something out of nothing, why couldn't He have a virgin conceive? Why not? What would be impossible for him? In fact, if there is a God, what would be impossible for him? So the, this next part that we're going to read, this last part that we'll read, is why Mary is pretty cool. Why, why we do you know say, hey, Mary, she's a great person. She's a great role model. She's, she's not a, a god. She's not you know, extra holy or anything, but she did have some great qualities. She said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Teenage girl. Visited by a super freaky angel, told she's gonna give birth to the chosen one. Like Luke she's giving birth to Luke Skywalker, Neo, Frodo and Aragon, and Aslan, all wrapped into one. She's and think about if we if we really like get into Mary's thinking here. Think of all the consequences this would imply for an ancient Jewish teenage girl. Like, what's her fiancé going to think? I know that's not my kid. Oh, God. God made it happen. Right. Because that happens a lot. So she'll be an unwed mother in ancient Israel who live by a very strict code when it comes to this kind of stuff. In fact, under the law that they lived under, she could be stoned to death. Not stoned to death, but like rocks thrown at her till she's dead to death. This is the danger she's, she's living in. Small village, everybody knows her, giving birth in the ancient Middle East. I mean, whether she was married or not, that's a scary thing. Probably without the so- support of a family who doesn't understand that an angel visited her. And what's she going to do for income? How is she going to support this baby once her fiancé finds out that she's pregnant, her family kicks her out? If she survives it, what's she going to do? So, put all of that in her mind, everything the angel told her, and, she's, and Mary says, yeah, sounds good, I'm in. See, God offered her something beyond belief. And instead of asking the, you know, the what ifs or the, the so what about, she simply trusted. She trusted that God knew what he was doing and, that, and because of that, her life was never the same. Her life was used to bring about the focal point of human history, all because she chose to accept the extraordinary that God had for her. See, an extraordinary life can begin with a simple yes. An extraordinary life can begin with just a simple yes. So marry a typical, common, ordinary, ancient, Middle Eastern teenage peasant girl. Doing typical, common, ancient, Middle Eastern teenage peasant girl stuff. I don't know what that was. In a typical, common, small, ancient Middle Eastern village, has her ordinary world transformed by God's extraordinary plan. She experienced God's love and purpose in a life saturated with the mundane. But God met her in the way he meets everyone, right in the middle of ordinary life. She had the courage to accept it. And the fun part, he wants to do the same for you. Like Mary's story really can mirror our story. I mean, not, not the virgin birth part. That's probably not going to happen for you, Nate. Because he's a guy, he can't have babies. All right. We're going to keep going. But like we said at the beginning, God created you on purpose for a purpose. You are not an accident. Your parents might tell you you were, but you're really not. You are not just some random offspring of an impersonal natural selection. There is a plan behind you. There is only one you. You are really are not ordinary. So why settle for an ordinary life? Why settle for just getting by and only dipping your toe into the extraordinary every time there's, you know, a special holiday? Why not experience the extraordinary God has for you, that God created you for every day and in every situation? Like, that sounds nice. You're like Mr. Rogers Jr., I love it. You make me feel so warm and good. But how? I mean, that's that's nice pie in the sky stuff. God loves you. You're a snowflake. You know. You're. How do I actually live this life? Like, how do I get this? What am I supposed to do? I mean, it's not like we're all going to get an angel to come to us and tell us what our life's purpose is, and tell us why things are happening, right? Mary had it easy, if you think about it, right? She didn't, but. If you think that, if you're like, well, I would love to, you know, have an extraordinary life and do what God tells me to do if you would just tell me what to do. Well, maybe we need to look a little harder. Maybe we need to ask some extraordinary questions. Maybe two extraordinary questions that I have for you. First question you could ask is this. What is it that only you can do? What is it that only you can do? Can do. There are certain things, certain purposes, only you can fulfill. See, only Mary could deliver and raise the Son of God. That was the th- what God had given her. She accepted it and she dove into it. But what is it that only you can do? Like me, I'm going to use me for an example. I am the only husband Liz has. That is a role only I can fulfill. I am the only father my kids have. That is a role only I can fulfill. You guys can find another pastor for this church, right? That is not my primary purpose in life. But what I know my primary purpose in life is the things only I can do. I can only be, only I can be the husband for Liz and only I can be the father to my children. So my main extraordinary purpose is my family. I can choose to see my family as this simply mundane obligation or as a God-given purpose only I can fulfill. And and though you can find another pastor and you and you will someday far far from now, <laughs> if I don't make fun of the elders. Even though you can find another pastor and you will probably for in 30 years or so, for now, God has chosen, put me here as the lead pastor, right? I'm the only one right now that can fulfill that purpose. For, for some reason, God's like, hey, idiot, go start a church. Maybe that's why, because I would actually say yes. <laughs> but for now, that's, the, that's a purpose only I can fulfill. And so, see, there, there can be other guest speakers at other churches, there, there can be other people running other ministries throughout the city. But right now, there can only be one lead pastor of Cross Creek. And so I, don't, I purposely don't do those extra... Not that anybody's asking me to be a guest speaker, but if they did, I'd tell them no. Because my focus, the only thing I can do is Cross Creek. That's, that's my extraordinary purpose right now. That's a purpose only I can fulfill. So one of my secondary... or. Purposes, extraordinary purposes is helping create a church for people don't normally go to church. So where has God put you? And what is it that only you can do right now? And maybe to fulfill that, to say, yeah, that is something only I can do, but I feel like I don't have time for it. I feel like other things get in the way. That's deep and insightful. You guys are really smart. So here's, here's what the second question goes to is that. What do you need to let go of? If you find out what only you can do, what your primary extraordinary focus, purpose is, what do you need to let go of? What's getting in the way? See, Mary could have clung to her usual ordinary life. You know, the, the one she planned on, the one she expected. She was expecting that, that wedding, that perfect wedding that she was dreaming of, right? Of, of, this, of this life, of marrying this carpenter and, and starting a home with him. Of You know, she, she always pictured how she would have her first child. It wasn't going to be like this. It wasn't going to be far from home in Bethlehem, which we'll talk about next week. She could have clung to that, but instead she had the courage to let go. She had the courage to step out and accept the extraordinary that God was giving her. So what do you need to let go of? What are you trying to hold on to? Is there, is there a hope that you're trying to hold on to? A dream? Is it comfort? Is it selfishness? I know you're never going to put it in those words, but it's probably that. Is it selfishness? Is it just the usual? You're, you're comfortable in the usual. What do you need to let go of? What, where are you in your life right now? What light, what has life handed you? And by life, I mean God. What has God handed you? What is in your life right now? Is there, is there a neighbor that needs serving? Is there an aging parent? Are there kids that need you? Is there a spouse that needs you? Is there, is there something God's really given you the opportunity to go serve with, to actually show His love to others? That is your extraordinary. Hand in hand with the ordinary. See, and sometimes it's, it's so hand, it's so connected that if we're not careful, we, we might miss it because it's not what we expected, not what we wanted. Right? We th- maybe we think it's too ordinary or hard to actually be something God has given us, and actually an extraordinary purpose God has given us, but it might not be easy, but that's where growth happens, when it's not easy. That's where the extraordinary is found, when it's difficult and it's scary. Nobody writes books about people who just kind of play it safe and never really step out, right? The great books, the great stories are those who have the courage to accept what only they can do. We have to be willing to let go of what we think life should be and what we think the timing of our life should be and accept the extraordinary that God is giving us even if it's not how we want or when we want or what we expected. See, because an extraordinary life is not about escaping the ordinary. It's not about escaping the ordinary and now everything's extraordinary. It's about accepting that God wants to break into your ordinary life and bring the extraordinary right alongside with you. But are we willing to accept it? Think about it. What would that be like? To know that every day you are fulfilling a God-given purpose that only you can fulfill. But in every situation you find yourself in, you know that there's a plan behind it, that you have a purpose in it. That you are right now exactly where God wants to use you For something extraordinary. What would that be like? See, God offers us an extraordinary purpose in the middle of our ordinary life. God offers us an extraordinary purpose in the middle of our ordinary life. We just have to be willing to accept it and maybe open our eyes to see it. So, will you let go and accept it? Don't answer out loud, it could get awkward. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you, you don't just create us and then say, hey, go have, you know, go figure it out, go try to find a purpose in life, but that you, you create us on purpose for a purpose, that you want to give us an extraordinary life, maybe not an easy life, but a life worth living, a life of purpose, a life that matters. Please give us the courage to see it, to see where you've put us and what only we can do, and maybe the courage to let go of some things that we thought we wanted. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for wanting to use us. Show us how much you love us and let us love others the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being here. Hope to see you next week. Invite a friend. Christmas service on December 22nd. We have invites at the back. And... We have new For Salem shirts. If you're like, hey, I like this style best, we have some for you for a suggested donation of $5. I hope you guys have a great week, and I hope to see you next week. See you later.